Hello and welcome to our second episode of the Over Here podcast. I'm Tom and today Kibria joins me with Sean Hill, who is our first Over Here podcast guest. A quick note before we start about our forum, www.theoverhere.app forward slash forum hosts our discussions on many topics, including writing about location, the app itself, updates you'd like to see, and maybe you could suggest future podcast episodes, reactions to what you hear in this episode. So check that out, and we'd love to hear your comments. Sean Hill is a poet and facilitator and fellow Hippodrome young poet practising in Birmingham, who you can find at many a poetry night in the city. He's also shared his words at festivals including WOMAD, Shambhala, Verve, and UK Young Artists Takeover 2019. In his own words, he uses his writing and performance to co-author moments of radical intimacy, which we will talk more about later. We were lucky enough to work with Sean during Birmingham Literature Festival when he wrote a poem to be pinned to Medicine Bakery and Kitchen. Welcome to the show, Sean. Hi, Tom and Kibria. Hello. Thank you very much for being our guinea pig. No problem. <laughs> Should we start off with the lockdown on Kibria? Oh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, how have you been doing? You were doing writing in this um, wonderful, wonderful time. Yeah, yeah, I've just been busy writing and reading, really. Uh, mm. Luckily, I've had some financial support that's made that possible because I got awarded a place on the Appleton's Nature with Arts Poetry and Performance Program. So Amazing. that's, yeah, that's created space for me to make. Um, and I feel very fortunate because I know a lot of people are struggling right now. Can you tell us about that project? What's the uh, idea so behind that? It's just that? Um, a, a year of development um, culminating in some, like a showcase in the north of England and in London, like, uh, at the start of next year and it's five poets from around the country one per one per region and we're just pushing that performance poetics to the next level so we're going to have mentorship a creative residency um and loads of other support as well and a big juicy bursary to, <laughs> to make it all possible so it's just nice, nice. one of five that's pretty that impressive brilliant. then well done thank you congrats Apples and Snakes was founded in 1982 in a room above a pub and have since become a keystone of the poetry and spoken word scene in the UK, working with poets all over the country. So they're kind of one of the leading organisations for performance poetry in Europe. I think they're the second biggest poetry organisation in the UK as well. And they're all about championing poetry in a performance context. So placing poets into schools, they were on the frontier of that, um, but also um, organising like loads of performances throughout the country and d- developing young poets as well. Um, so they've got their hands in loads of different things. Um, but yeah, they're really cool. Hmm. Nice, a good group to get involved with. Yeah, them. I did a digital internship yeah. with them while I was at uni. And that was like, um, yeah, there was... Uh, really interesting they've got a lot of history behind it they've collected a lot of a lot of archive material that i don't think it's a, it's a very unique collection kind of thing the the history of that organization and the events they ran and the if you if you like look at the people they've worked with it's 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 a proper like star-studded kind of uh, roster 
When I say star-studded, uh, the names they drop on their website are Jackie Kay, Lem Sisse, Benjamin Zephaniah, Michael Rosen, Caleb Femi, Polar Bear, Kate Tempest, and Holly McNish, to name a few. You're up there with the stars, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, so... Obviously, with our Over Here project, we like to talk about location, and that's kind of been limited at the moment. People haven't been able to get out much, although that's kind of being lifted a little bit. But we wanted to know if you, Sean, have any tips around writing about location, kind of getting yourself into a space and feeling the space that kind of bring you into the mindset or into the location. If you don't, then that's equally valid yeah i think i think when you're thinking about space it's always best to just sketch to get an impression first i think Mm -hmm. so it's like pulling details and pulling sensory details and i like to collect first because there's this poet called austin austin cleon um who has this idea of creativity as subtraction um mm. and i always like starting from a place of of like a full page rather than an empty page because then writer's block isn't a thing then you're not you're not you're not staring at like a white barren arctic field of a piece of paper it's mm. yeah. a, a full forest for you to like make space within so i think sketching a space first like pulling all these details and not even thinking in a qualitative way so not thinking whether this is value of this is good you're just observing everything you uh you're recording everything you observe then you've got you've got like an impression of the space on a piece of paper for you to start picking out details that you want to expand or explore further and you start to get the essence of something Sean is quoting from Cleon's best-selling book, Steal Like an Artist, published in 2012, which has a whole chapter dedicated to this idea. An aesthetic guiding principle for how I explore space in my own work is I like to make quite sparse, minimal poems that have a lot of space for the readers to inhabit. And I think if you... If you over-describe a space, it becomes like almost like a flat photograph that we can't really inhabit. Mm. And I think we need to create space within a poem for the reader to be able to recreate that space inside themselves as well. So with that over here commission, if I was saying there's a boots here and <laughs> there's a pizza hut down the road, and there's this exact number of pigeons. Um, and like, if I'm getting too into the, like, and if I'm being too over-specific with it, that recreation like can't really happen. And I think it's, it was a challenging thing about the commission because, because of it being geotagged, um, it would be easy to kind of do that because the space is, right next to you and there's almost like a pressure like in the context of the commission to like recreate um recreate the space and prove yourself that you're a really good descriptive writer that can that can make like a photograph with words um but you know I, i had to like push against that because i had 
other intentions with the poem, you know, wanting to talk about uh, capitalism, post-capitalism, and um, the homeless crisis as well. Yeah. I didn't want your totems. They infected me. A method so thorough, I dream you. Want a wasp in a glass trying to stab its way to sky. Grey, this city of grey, this city of rain, soaked cardboard, this city of gargoyles. So obviously what you've done in the overhead poem is you've subtracted a lot. Like you say, you like it to be minimal. So you start with a lot and then you just, it's almost like a sculpture. So you're starting with everything and you're chipping away until yeah. you find the form of it. Yeah. Like, and sometimes you do it too much and you, and you kill the thing. Right. <laughs> but, but I think that always reveals to me that there wasn't a poem there in the first place. It's just, yeah. it then yeah. just becomes like a study or an exercise. It's still valuable. Like it's an experience, but, um, yeah, that that's very much in my process. It's like, how can we keep distilling, distilling until um, we, we find the poem? But it's it's not jagged or fragmentary. It's still f- fluid, um, and it doesn't feel sparse. It feels expansive. Um, yeah, yeah. A little trick that I use with space in the context of minimalism is having a little image that calls the reader's body into the poem. Um, Mm. So having something to latch onto and using that as your establishing shot for the poem, usually poets would like do a long stanza of description to set up the space and establish the space and create a a believable imaginary environment for Mm. uh, a speaker or a character to move around. But within minimalism, you don't, you you can't justify like those eight lines to do that. You want to do that within one line, one image, or in some cases, one word. And so I find a practical way of doing that is instead of setting up the space uh, and doing like a kind of almost discursive thing of like asking someone and convincing someone to believe in the space that you've set up, um, just use their body. They already believe that they're that they're a human being with a body. <laughs> so you can like let them identify with being a human being, like in your poem, and then you've mm. you've like almost it's like inception, you've slipped into their imaginary landscape and then they'll already kind of believe in the plausibility of it. Um someone who like talks about this like quite a lot is this philosopher called like Gaston. My French is so awful, so people don't judge me. I think it's Bacalard. I don't mm-hmm. know, but B-A-C-H-E-L-A-R-D. And he wrote a book called Poetics of Space, which kind mm. of, he talks about this like quite a lot. But um, that's a little trick that I use sometimes. Not all the time. It's not a gimmick, you know, but um, <laughs> but we neglect that, I think, quite like a lot in poetry when we privilege description mm. but i think getting the reader's body involved in the poem um that's like an element of space and i think that's really important 
um, if you if you want to be creating Absolutely, convincing yeah. landscapes. The book Sean is talking about was first published in 1958. It considers how we can understand places as more than just their physical dimensions and how they are shaped by our lived experience of them. How our bodies can remember space in personal and emotional ways. It's the interface that we use to interact with space. There's literally nothing else we can use you to know, interact with space. <laughs> and we forget we forget that so much. Like I think because we have these lofty, highbrow-like ideas about what art is, and sometimes I think we're trying to neglect the social and the human, like in a piece of art, by trying to mm. make it something, like make it into a commodity, make it something that is orientated and signals, um, like it's orientated to this art world that is just about procuring an increasing value and status mm. rather than, like it. I think me like coming from a performance background and like letting that influence my page work it's about how can how can we all like coexist in this space together and how can we all Mm. hold each other in this space you know um Mm. so I think it's yeah I think I think we need to be thinking about space in that way as well because it only enhances whatever other poetic like concerns you've got as well it's like a little Mm. a little like supercharger but yeah that was I think I think that's what I was doing with the the commission I don't know maybe I failed but (laughs) no no I've got some more questions but I want to let Kibria um chip in with anything she's got yeah, just the idea of like the the body and stuff. I was just thinking about how that was almost like turned up to eleven during, uh, like the walking tour that you did, where you were like reading while we were, like walking through the city and just sort of that that feeling of like we were all together, we were existing in this space, but also the act of you reading of everyone like listening to those words was sort of it really felt like it was transforming where we were kind of around us. As part of our work with Birmingham Literature Festival, Sean took a group of us out on a walking tour, co-curated with Ben Waddington of Still Walking. We made our way from the Jewellery Quarter Station to St Philip's Cathedral, walking down side roads and lurking near car parks and canals, listening to Sean perform some wonderful poetry, as well as having a go at responding to the spaces in real time ourselves. He encouraged us to look at the city as we knew it as an ongoing performance and to think of the walk as having the freedom to wander around backstage, seeing something new and transformable in all the disused sets and props lying around. Oh, thank you. Yeah, like I think one of my central concerns really is trying not to make flat, pretty objects, trying to create... Mm spaces that actual human beings can move around in and I think you need to you need to let go of some narrative certainty in your work to be able to do that you need to not be so concerned with pinning down exactly your version of events Mm. Mm -hmm. and and not just as some like like truism that like we say sometimes like in workshops and stuff to be like oh like poetic truth and poetic license and stuff and that um 
like oh the the details aren't important and that just like express yourself but like like going a like a little bit of a step further than that and like kind of sacrificing some of your self-expression a little bit like in the poems because you know that the experience that you're going to have um with another human being like in sharing art like that is kind of more that valuable and more more rewarding than a like kind of simple a simple idea of like oh being understood like mm, in inverted commas mm. um because what even is being understood like in the first place like right they're not going to be able to like recreate exactly any even if you're the most descriptive talented writer ever they're not going to even recreate the right sh- shade of blue even if you like start pinning it down with all these similes and stuff and it's like why don't you just let that go and instead just account for the fact that if if being understood perfectly isn't possible then what what other things can we be doing instead and i think creating a space of mutual respect where both people can use their autonomy and discover and experiment and play mm. and bring different details together i think that's that's way more exciting to me than i don't know yeah i don't know maybe I don't yeah know. no that makes a lot of sense and it makes a lot of sense in the broader picture as well as just poetry like in terms of the climate of polarity that we're in um it's highly unlikely that you're going to convince someone of your point of view or your opinion it's probably much more valuable to create a sense of knowing and understanding of, of another person than to try and push your agenda onto someone else. That's, that's just the, my take on what you've that kind of turned on those lights for me. Yeah. There is a little paradox in that though, for me, because I'm like, cause these like ideas are kind of like informed by, um, Paulo Freire, like, um, the Brazilian thinker who wrote Pedagogy of the Oppressed, mm-hmm. and then Bell Hooks's work, who like uh, Bell Hooks is amazing, intersectional feminist, mm-hmm. uh, and she wrote um, this book, Teaching to Transgress, that's based on the back of like Freire's work, and so it's all about um, again like not forcing agendas onto people, not using the mechanisms of power to make people think a certain way, Mm. just trusting people that if you give them the tools to develop their critical awareness, that they'll develop a critical consciousness, they'll develop a critical consciousness on their own, which will be in alignment with principles of liberation, love and freedom. Um, So there is that kind of, you were talking about, yeah, like in this climate, like not forcing an agenda, but in all my poems, I'm forcing an (laughs) anti-Catholic agenda at the same time. So it is, it is that like thin line of, yeah, trying to create these on the surface, seemingly neutral learning environments Mm. for people to come in and have different experiences within the poem. Mm -hmm but framing that with the intention of trying to make it more likely that um, a, like an alignment to post-capitalism. Yeah, you, like, yeah, awakening some sort of know. consciousness. And I think it's a, so it's the difference between planting a seed in somebody and forcing something down someone's throat, isn't it? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's an invitation rather than yeah. like trying to box someone in, for sure. Yeah, and I think I do write. I do write those like really like <laughs> like discursive like polemical poems, but a lot of them don't leave the notebook <laughs> really like anymore mm. now because like like I remember like when I first started performing like I'd like stick my fingers up to audience members and stuff <laughs> thinking it was cute like thinking I was like this like little queer punk like born in the wrong <laughs> decade or something and it's just. You know, it doesn't work really. Mm. It creates it creates a wall and I think more insidious, it creates a wall not between the people you've even made angry, because at least that's an authentic reaction, right? At least that person is being authentic in their emotional response of you've swore at me, I'm pissed off. Mm. Like what's more insidious are the people in the room that don't know why they should agree, but feel them pressured to agree mm. and then they haven't done that learning they haven't had that consolidation of learning inside Mm. and instead they're just playing playing a role of like understanding and i think that's a massive problem nowadays and i think with this latest like resurgence of uh like a more protest with like black lives matter i think that's being exposed like in white liberals Mm -hmm. and and other facets of the left as well, that people were just kind of posturing mm. like a like an anti-racist consciousness that didn't really understand. They haven't lived and I think, the, um, oh yeah, we haven't lived the uh, experience. Yeah, but not not even just that though, because I think we can we can all be striving all the time to like understand each other. But I think they capped their own learning because they in in the past like. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in this like as well. It's you, you bypass your own learning. Like, I, I can't, I don't know. I don't know. Man. It's, um, it's a thing where it becomes like, um, like ego becomes the center of it. Right. Mm. So you're like, I, I know that I am a good person, TM kind <laughs> of thing. And then it becomes a failure to like actually engage with anything on a, like on a on a real like emotional level or I don't know yeah yeah I think because there's that certainty like I Mm. think when an artist or an educator is posturing absolute like certainty then we're just teaching people to mirror that as well um but Mm -hmm. as an artist like we've already we've got invisible processes that we've gone through to be able to raise our consciousness and to come to those conclusions when you just send it out to people it's like you're teaching them to agree with what they hear without actually fully considering it at the same time Mm. and I think so when you when we're making things that are too complete and too certain um we're robbing other people of the ability to to learn and get involved in the creative process that we've got involved with and so I think that's another thing with what we were talking about before with like minimalism and space Mm. and subtraction is your perfect again and again like making something appear kind of incomplete because you're not you don't want to indulge in this lie of Mm. that this piece of art is going to do the work for you or this piece of art is going to change you it's like you need to readers readers need to be active like a little bit we need to like obviously 
means test that and take care of people's like emotional states and their attention and factor all these things to make that experience um more comfortable and you know more likely to get the results that we want like as artists like with our different mm. concerns but you know we need something in the the poem that is not going to do the work for the reader as well and i think mm. introducing some uncertainty getting rid of spatial exposition making it a little bit more a little bit more difficult mm. for people to work out actually who is actually speaking in this poem making them question like a voice a little bit yeah. and i think that is again what we're talking about for not forcing an agenda on people but almost modeling for people how to question their reality yeah. a little bit it's like not go with the immediate assumptions creating an unknown within the context for them to then explore it's like i i used to play a game called age of empires which was where you'd start off as a little tribesman in the in the middle of this black density and then you'd have to go out into the darkness and like create pathways and and so if you can help <laughs> that's my computer geek kind of analogy with this but um i think if within within all sorts of things that we're trying to talk about and frame if you can create a kind of a a sandbox that's like a sandpit of, of unknown that you can go into and safely play in and then kind of move the boundaries back further and further and further and and yeah like you say rather than just shining the light on everything and going this is what everything is it's like you individually walking people through unknowns um yeah and i'm wondering how like obviously with over here like it's a literal movement of people to locations how we can try and integrate part of not just when you arrive and listen to the poem, but the actual place you start from and end up in as part of that journey of consciousness as well as part of the, the use of the app and exploring things. Mm. Well, I think maybe writing exercises that are there again, that are not too prescriptive, mm. but like, cause then that's like, because then that's incorporating that unfinished. It's saying, oh, this this location's already been geotagged by someone, mm. which on a su surface level, like, says, you're not allowed to write about mm. here now, like, right? So there's, like, a kind of a little mini intervention. It kind of makes that that whole action, like, incomplete, because it's saying, oh, no, it's still a process. Yeah, yeah. Like, right? And, it's, mm. and I think that's really important, like, in when we're writing in response to location, writing in responses to cities. Cause like we need to like consciousness raise people to the point where they feel like, yeah, this the city isn't permanent. The city isn't just authored by like people in power. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. like we we like we can change our communities, we can change our cities and we can change the world. Um because the world is a dynamic process. The world isn't mm -hmm this static text that we don't have autonomy like to change mm -hmm. and it's mad like how many people like it's such like a simple it's such like a simple statement but like a lot of people like doubt themselves and don't believe that they can do any do anything to change anything mm -hmm. and it's i think writing is a writing is fundamental in that yeah. like right if people if people can literally articulate themselves on a piece of paper and see grammar at work that like oh, i don't know i think 
It bootstraps them. I yeah, I think you're right. It, it's a bootstrapping yeah. process. It, like, it, if I can start just, I find that when I, whenever I write about something that I'm unsure about, I start with like an uns- an unsurety as I'm writing, and then as I put the words down, things kind of scaffold themselves and they kind of build themselves together. And and I was I had this idea that just this morning about another function with over here could be rather than to pin a poem to a place you pin a poetry portal which is like an uh, a location where you say come here and write about this so you don't add your content you say you can like, open up a, like a wormhole <laughs> and it's like you've yeah, got to go to I this location that. and then you dump all your stuff in here and then maybe it's part of a competition or it's part of a of a something that means all that material gets kind of i don't know reviewed or like goes into the community in some way and um mm. and yeah i've yet to think that idea through but but because when we go around <laughs> the city we um we there is a narrative already like on the just like massive billboards uh, so frustrating because it's like who who asked you <laughs> to yeah. to to uh who, who asked my eyes <laughs> if they wanted to see this narrative no no I, mm. like i don't want it there i want to see something else that that is more inspiring than that and I feel like the digital domain is the is the open source one that um, kind of allows for a lot of that. Um, yeah, but stuff. I, th- I think a hybrid approach is really important though as well. I think that's cool what you're doing because it's not purely digital, which then could just be the realm, like just the realm of the personal, you know, of mm. someone in their bedroom mm. on their laptop being like oh look i'm i'm changing things but (laughs) not not actually in the real world right Mm. um and i think that was the cool thing like about the walk-in tour that we did because it was we were all having those personal um responses to the city yeah and like you know owning like our individuality and our autonomy like wandering around um, but it was integrated with the city. We were responding in that like, real time. And then we were also coming back as a little huddle, as a little mm, tribe mm. moving through the city mm. as well. And I felt like even it, even though it didn't do anything like on external reality, like we didn't overthrow capitalism with that war, <laughs> did we? Like, I don't know. I'm just checking, you know. <laughs> but, um, Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah. But I think we all we were all transformed in a way by that. And that wasn't, I don't think that would have happened if as like a facilitator or artist, Mm. like I was relying on traditional models of power and authority. Mm. It was because of that incompleteness, seeing ourselves as incomplete, um, seeing myself incomplete, like as an artist, seeing the city as incomplete, that even though we didn't, change the world but i.e like overthrow capitalism we were all like shifted in a way by that experience like a bit yeah. and i think that's that's radical and i think like poetry is really good like at making those intervention like in plain sight mm-hmm. um like beth slynn who's a poet in birmingham has a little project called like the world's smallest poetry festival <laughs> where she's just got like a little like wheelie soapbox with a speaker and a mic and just makes intervention spaces because it's so it seems so irrelevant and um pacified to like power that 
all the censoring is happening on the macro level, like yeah. on the billboards, on the TV, on the radio, which mm-hmm. is being beamed non-consensually these narratives all the time. Beth Slynn is another poet we've had the pleasure of working with. She was one of our commissioned artists for our collaboration with Verve Poetry Festival, writing a poem pinned to the clean kilo in Digbeth. She also happens to be another Hippodrome young poet. But I think as creatives and on the left, we sometimes forget the radical power of just a conversation between two strangers that in all these flows of behaviour and power, like two individuals with different identities and different class experiences, different religions are like kept in segregation and purposely kept apart in these different consumer flows. But with this kind of medium of art, they can have this random encounter on a street and change the trajectory of each other's lives just mm. in a conversation. And it might not happen there. The change might, it won't be measurable in 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 that encounter. Like they're not going to run around, run away and like move to Brazil like after, <laughs> after that encounter. But like that encounter offers another reality that isn't being told about in the dominant it narrative. Opens, yeah, it opens up a potential, right? Which is in yeah. itself powerful. It's so powerful and we in this world of like metrics and just privileging profit all the time, we're we're driven as artists to consider like other out, outcomes and really crave other kind of markers of our like work having an impact on the world. But why not just change one human being, you know? Mm. Isn't that like and we're convinced to think that that's not enough and this is propaganda campaign again and again telling us that's not enough, that's not enough, yeah, look how broken yeah. the world is, go do this ineffectual thing over here, that's not mm. going to change. Like, I think we've really got to have faith in the local and the small of, and yeah, there's just simple powers of yeah, yeah. non-dominative like, conversation. And I'm hearing that message from so many different locations at the moment as well. Mm. Um, that idea of, yeah, doing the doing this local thing, like, it's it's so ob- it's so obvious, isn't it? But we've been lost, been hoodwinked and blindsided by so many different things that it's like it's the last thing we think of doing. It's like yeah. oh, actually no, go and talk to your neighbour. Like just go and, like the people on your street, start something with them. Yeah, and the idea of it being kind of fractal and can kind of uh, it can reproduce itself. On yeah, like, yeah, yeah, larger and larger scales. Yeah, and I think it can only reproduce itself if again we're not doing it in a dominating way like someone like we need to give up all assumptions to power like so whoever's facilitating whether it's an artist or whether it's just simple someone having like leading a conversation they we need to let go of this capitalist thinking that i'm the one in control i'm the one making something happen mm. like because the if we just teach that we're just going to be like replicating like dominate a culture like for people yeah. like I think art is like an amazing laboratory and doing this incomplete art with space for other people to like step in with their autonomy is, is it, is it, is a, is a laboratory to how on how to like have these conversations in other areas of our lives mm-hmm. as well. And to re, yeah, to really like model for people. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just, 
That's know. really interesting because that's something that we're trying at, like in terms of the governance of over here as a company. Uh, during lockdown, I, I applied for Arts Council funding, the emergency funding, and didn't get it. So uh, it was like I had mm. some time to really think about what we're doing and stuff. And I've been reading some really interesting stuff on devolving power from like traditionally as a CEO of a company. It's like, yeah, it's that exactly what you've been talking about that mm. hundred year we've been doing it for hundreds of years and it causes all sorts of issues down supply chains and things so if if that power can be devolved to other people then actually you can use it as a laboratory you can use it as a as a play space and be like what what do you want to do with over here like give it to someone else and say have a have a go with it what what do you think can happen so kind of we've probably got some announcements to put out at some point about all of this but we haven't fully formed it because well, I guess it because we're playing with it. <laughs> but I think a lot there's a lot of talk about that in emerging organisations and businesses in not having that director lead role anymore, but making space yeah. for, for, for playing with an idea and that being the value of it. Yeah, and a lot of that is about, similarly, it's about like taking fear away from the system, right, and making it about being able to make mistakes, being able to like empowering people to do that and it's the same kind of thing like when you're talking about feeling like you have ownership or or belonging in a city and being like having an authorship over it it's that mm. empowering people to be able to articulate themselves in the space be able to like claim claim where they are mm, mm. yeah nice and and i just guess to round up um maybe we could bring it back to a practical writing tip sort of thing as a takeaway point of some sort about I guess not being scared to write about space and play with it and chip away at the edges have you got any final thoughts on that Sean yeah definitely definitely um I think that gave me permission like I had this amazing amazing lecturer at university like oh i fucking hated my uni experience on so many levels <laughs> it was so awful like me and my friend satchel like we like skipped our graduation because we were just like so like just so done like yeah didn't even have the effort to make it like some punk like I didn't american 90s either. teen yeah, movie yeah, like yeah. gesture it was just like <laughs> I'm, I'm depressed and i'm tired I don't, yeah. i'm just done with this shit um but i had this um, there was a couple of like of really amazing radical presences like at university and there was this one lecturer called Dr Felicity Gee and she she devised a module called Time, Space and Identity where we really got to play around with like all these all these concepts by looking at it through the lens of cinema mm. and one of the one of the films we studied which is like now I think my favourite film I've ever seen and it's like had such an impact on me creatively and I literally owe so much of my poetics to this movie is this documentary film called My Winnipeg by mm-hmm. this Canadian filmmaker Guy Madden which won some awards at um, Toronto Film Festival in 2007 but he was commissioned by the government um, to make a documentary film about his hometown like the mm-hmm. city of Winnipeg um, and instead he like invented this genre called docufantasia and instead of just like recording observations of the city in a literal narrative mode and like the current conception of like 
his reality. He also recorded the urban legends and the fantasies and mm. the, the lies and the half-truths mm. of the place nice. and created this kind of 4D-like environment. Mm. Um, and that became more real. The film started as a commission from the documentary channel. The producer told him, don't give me the frozen hellhole everyone knows that Winnipeg is. That movie like really gave me permission to completely think about space in a different way. Nice. That your marker isn't just as a craftsperson, like that's forced to work in the realistic realist mode, like right, and make like, oh, I need yeah, to copy yeah. that woman's hands like exactly. Yeah. It's like, what if they were lobster claws instead? <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's art, you know what I mean? But like but I think a lot more a lot more interesting things happen when we give ourselves permission to go a bit weird. Mm, and I know not absolutely. everyone's comfortable yeah. to go take some LSD. Like, <laughs> I took some LSD and like like I, I had like a deeper knowledge of post-structuralism after that and my poems <laughs> got better. It was cute. You know, so if you're not gonna take LSD to like start doing more interesting things with space compositionally, <laughs> like, <laughs> like watch some weird shit, like you know, and yeah, yeah. let go of this kind of prissy, prissy middle class white hobbyist way of writing poems. Yeah, yeah. Of look at my cute crochet pattern or like whatever. Like I copied the pattern so great, I'm good, right? Like I'm gonna win an award or get published in this magazine. It's like allow yourself to be a bit weird and unpopular for a bit mm. and to make those interesting discoveries. I think Kibria talked about like the walk we did, like as part of the commission, the walking workshop going through this the city. Mm -hmm. And the kind of emphasis of that workshop were to to surprise ourselves with new possibilities, new new versions and visions of futures. And to do that, you can't just be responding to the space around you. Mm -hmm. You need systems and mechanisms and processes in place to, to get beyond the space that you're seeing in front of you. You're not a photographic camera. You're not supposed to be a machine. You're not supposed to just snapshot what's already there. You're supposed to see train yourself to be able to see what's behind what I'm seeing, what futures is yeah. that blocking for me, how is my imagination being suppressed to only recreate what it sees. And mm. you were talking mm. earlier about billboards, we're being conditioned all the time mm. to only see a, a limited version or account of reality. And so if, if we want to be doing cool things, we say, so we want to be doing cool art, like I'm really cool art, like art that, you know, all your favourite artists, you, they're a bit freaky you know what i mean <laughs> but we instead try and emulate this polite safety in everything yeah. we do i think we really need to give ourselves permission and more importantly after we've done that permission have practices and processes in place to kind of to to introduce surprise into our work so a takeaway for that that was a bit you wanted a simple thing and <laughs> i just monologued so a simple little exercise for that it's just set a timer, set a timer for three minutes and give yourself permission to free write, give yourself permission to free write. And what I do is, what I did for a process for a while, I had a collage process where we do five sets of those three minutes. Mm, and then so okay. every time a three minute finished, I take a little breath recenter and then do it again. Mm -hmm. And you're training your brain to like, to, to go with a more like kind of embodied sense of intuition, feeling, feeling thing not getting blocked 
into is this working is this pretty sure sure and then discovering things and then what i do after that what i suggest to do after that once you've got a week or two weeks worth of that material underline everything that's really cool and then print it on a document or write it on a piece of paper and then cut it out and collage it on your floor Mm. and go with what's dangerous don't go with what's safe Mm -hmm. and the ordering principle in a poem then you'll see will be a marker for a new sense of spatial understanding, a new spatial awareness and a new like a new a new way to organize a poem. And I think that is is it is in itself consciousness raising because mm, mm. You're, you're then you're then getting behind this conditioning of how things already are and you're seeing something radically new. It's not always going to pay off. It's not always going to be comprehensible. It takes a long time to be able to like ride the waves so that mm-hmm. um it's doing something interesting but people can still inhabit it but the the art should be for you for your consciousness raising first and i'd say people work on that have fun play get freaky you know and maybe mm-hmm. do lsd like once you know with some good friends <laughs> but yeah i hope that's helpful is, is lsd uh, fair trade can we get some fair trade lsd <laughs> I, I, I think it's just nerds make it in their labs, don't they? I, I don't no know. Idea, to be <laughs> Possibly. Uh, it's not like MGMA, which like ruins the rainforest and stuff. Oh, okay. Well, that's there we go. Nothing to hold me back. <laughs> Educational. <laughs> and that's the Over Here podcast. <laughs> Fantastic, Sean. There's so much to uh, think about there and play with and take away. I'm going to have a lot of fun editing this and revisiting these ideas. And okay, yeah, love to have you back on again to talk maybe more in depth about some of these things because it sounds like we could go down lots of really interesting tangents and rabbit holes with yeah almost like, all those topics it was fun like i'm like i'm trying to get into like essay writing at the moment mm. um mm. instead of just like dumping like a hundred thoughts and so sure okay yeah <laughs> and put it in a neat little book for people to like not be like sean i just i just want to chill like what why are we why are we questioning the nature of our reality again can we can we just chill please <laughs> <laughs> like, no, writing I, the essays <laughs> while on lsd or <laughs> No, no, I'm good. I'm a good, I'm a good Buddhist boy now. I'm teetotal. I've given up like such a crazy impression of myself. <laughs> good. That was really, really interesting. Superb stuff. Thank you. Thank you, you so much, um, Sean. Yeah. No problem, babe. It's so nice to hear your voice, Just a final thank you to Sean for coming on to our podcast. You can find out more about Sean Hill at warmbloodedthing.co.uk. And please check out the overhere.app website where you can find our blogs and videos and more. Also, check out our events page for our upcoming workshops with Kibria and Adrian B. Earl, looking at statues around the city and how we can pin our own digital poetry plaques to them using the Overhere app. Of course, if you haven't, please download the Overhere app and go and collect some poems just going to leave you with an outro of a few minutes of ambient music so you can think about location think about some of the tips that we've presented in this podcast and work with those see you next time
Thank you.